We've all heard the saying, learn to love the process. But why learn to love something? Why not create a process that is easy to love? Welcome to Peace with the Process, where I bring you professionals who specialize in the processes we incorporate to sustain consistent, healthy growth. I believe in learning from others' mistakes and successes. So I also bring on entrepreneurs who have been in the trenches and tell us how they got there and how they got out. I hope you find something in today's episode that you can apply to your own life and that you find your peace with the process along the way. Let's get started. Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Peace with the Process. This one might actually be one that several of you have been looking forward to. This is one of the few that I've given everyone a heads up on who's actually going to be on the show. And I'm very excited about this one because we've had him on the show before. If you haven't been following along on my social media platforms, specifically the Peace with the Process Facebook page or the Peace with the Process Instagram page, I've been doing a lot of stories on this particular guest of ours today. He is a, let me do a quick count here, officially this month is a four-time author. He is a speaker and he has a heart for the 20-something generation. That may have given it away right there. Today, we have a conversation with Mr. Paul Angoni, and I'm very excited to talk about his newest book, 25 Lies You Need to Stop Believing in Your 20s. And let's be honest, this isn't just practical knowledge and information for just your 20s. This is for your 30s, your 40s, 50s, 60s. It doesn't matter how old you are because I know plenty of people in their 50s that are still doing things a 20-year-old is doing. Whether or not they should or shouldn't be doing that depends on the particular activity. But I'm not going to dive into that today. I just want to get into this conversation with Paul and show you guys what he has coming up in this new book, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, things that he's got going on, some things that's gone on since his time between our last episode together. So he has been on the podcast before. Go and check that out. It is the episode titled All Grown Up with Paul Angoni, and you can check out our first conversation on there. Just go back through the archives of whatever platform you're listening on. Speaking of platforms and the ones you're listening on, I want to thank everyone for their ratings and reviews that you have given us. It is extremely appreciated. I just want to thank a few of you uh, that have taken the time to give the review. The ratings are extremely appreciated, but I know how much time out of your day that you take to write up a review and physically type in what your thoughts are for the show. I have not had anyone give us a negative review. I'm extremely appreciative of that. Uh, my goal is to keep it that way, and I appreciate every kind word that many of you has said for our podcast. If you haven't had a chance to give us a rating and review, take a moment right now. Go ahead and pause the podcast and head over to wherever it is you leave a rating and review on the platform that you're listening on. So I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into our conversation today with Paul Angoni. All right, Paul, it is an honor to have you on the show a second time to talk about your newest publication. Obviously, before we get into that, how have you been since we last had our last? Uh, oh, last man, I've been doing good. Thanks for having me on again, Blake. Uh, as we were just discussing, I've been out shoveling about a foot of snow here in Colorado. 
So my back's hurting. I'm a little tired. I'm feeling my age a little bit right now. <laughs> so it's humbling, but the, I think the snow is winning, winning the battle right now on me, but I, I'll go hit it again after we're done recording here. Oh yeah. No, I, you know, I was just mentioning to you talk about snow winning a battle. Texas here just got like probably 10 inches of snow in some areas, power yeah. going out, water freezing. So uh, we we're, we're feeling what you guys are feeling up there in Colorado, but, but, uh, you guys are abs- uh, much more prepared. Uh, yes. Sure, sure you've got the shovel or, or at least the, uh, the push mow looking thing I've seen people. Use. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, snow, snow plows are out, you know, three, four in the morning, they're, they're rearing to go. So we're a little bit more prepared, a little bit, a little more re- ready to handle the snow than, uh, than the Dallas area is. There you go. So when you get a, when, have you ever been snowed in up there? Like where you couldn't leave the house? Yeah. I mean, there's been different times. Yeah. We're like some of the, actually the worst snowstorms typically happen in the spring. Mm. And, uh, so there'll be like leaves on the trees and that those are usually the worst because they have snow so heavy and wet that it'll break a ton of branches if you get a huge snowstorm and then, oh yeah. So electricity lines are going down. So you have like live wires on the street cause they've been snapped by branches so many branches falling. So those are typically the ones where you kind of get stuck because it is so much snow. Wires are down, branches are down. Uh, so I've had a few of those where, yeah, you're just on foot, you know, you just shovel your way out and you're just kind of walking around. It's like a ghost village. It's, it's always a crazy experience. That's, so what do you do when you get snowed in up there? I would assume it happens often for people up there. So what's something common that you do on a snowed in day? Well, you know, like we were talking about, you know, because we have snow plows and everything out, you don't get stuck too often. You know, Mm -hmm. you usually can at least get out, get to the grocery store uh, because we're ready to get the roads cleared. Uh, But I mean, if you get stuck, yeah, I mean, if our electricity goes out, it's always kind of a fun experience if it's not for too long. Uh, The kids get excited, get flashlights, get candles. Uh, It becomes like a fun memory for them. Uh, and we all gather together. So I, it's always kind of a good memory as kids or now as a parent. Right. Uh, when the, but but if it's for if it's for a week or something, you know, obviously that's a totally different ball game. Uh, and then you're trying to figure out where to put all your food, you know, in the fridge, and how are we going to you know keep everything going here? So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people here experience that as well. Yeah. Well, for uh, for those of you guys who are listening in on the uh, on the podcast today, and if you have not had an opportunity to listen to mine and Paul's episode that we did together earlier on, take a moment, go back and do that. I don't have the number episode that it was, but you can you can search it on on our website uh, and find it, or search it wherever you have our podcast that you're listening to, and you can find it. Uh, having Paul on his, you're extremely dedicated to the twenty something generation. And that, that is where your passion lies. And it's all about supporting this generation. Uh, so let me, let me, let me, let me try to rattle these off real quick because I've got one of them, which is 101 secrets or yeah, it's, I believe it's 101, no, 101 questions. I'm sorry. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to, and I'm going to butcher it. Uh, (laughs) The 101 questions to ask yourself in your twenties. And then there's another one with secrets. I haven't gotten that publication yet. Remind me what that one is. Yeah, that was my first one. Actually, it's called 101 secrets for your twenties. That's right. Okay. That's what helped kick it all off for me. And then, uh, and they actually had a book in between that called all grown up, uh, G R O A N like your groaning and pain, which is my website, allgrownup.com. And, uh, and that one was all grown up searching for self faith and a freaking job was the subtitle. (laughs) 
Um, that was kind of more my memoir, kind of my funny, snarky, serious memoir as I'm going through my 20s. And then my third book, 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s. Mm-hmm. And now we're on to the fourth book, which is 25 Lies, 20-somethings Need to Stop Believing. Yes. So yeah, definitely a common theme and thread <laughs> there. So I've talked about the secrets. I've talked about the questions you need to ask. And now I'm going after the lies uh, that I feel like are the biggest lies that are holding a lot of people back, but especially people in their teens, 20s, early 30s who are going through this kind of transition period of what do I do with my life? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that concept because there's definitely a lot of lies that we can um, like believe just not only subconsciously, but we can just submit to them. And exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you, you know, I think sometimes you people, when they read my book, they'll be like, oh my gosh, you, you named it. You, you put a name to what I've been feeling or experiencing or going through. And that's usually what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to just call it out because it, it is, it's something that we've all been seeing or maybe feeling, but subconsciously or wrestling with something, but we can't quite figure out what it is. So mm-hmm. that's usually my goal is to call those out and say, you know, maybe this is a lie. And let's break that down. Why is it a lie? And what is the truth there? And once we get to that point, then now we can move forward. And so each chapter two has next steps. So it's like, okay, this is a lie. Here's some of the truth. Okay, what do we do now with this? And that's the goal is to to figure out how do we move forward into our future instead of being held back by a bunch of lies. Yeah, absolutely. And I love it. And I've, I've had an opportunity. I've listened to, I think every episode, except for the one that you've released this morning, I think is one uh, of your newest podcasts that you've got going well, thanks, on. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. I love that uh, podcast. They're, they're, they're not the episodes. They're not too long. They're, they're a perfectly good length and you've got yeah. a great story in each episode that relates to whatever topic it is you're talking about. So in, in some of the one that you've been doing, you've been addressing some of the, some of the lies, but then you've also got some where uh, you've got other topics as well. Yeah. So the podcast is something new that you've had going on since we had our last episode. Yeah, exactly. People like you inspiring me to get the podcast going, Blake. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> I've been welcome. learning from you on how to do that. Uh, you know, and it's just another good, another good reminder that we're always learning. Right. And I, you know, I have four books, I have a website, but I had no idea how to do a podcast. So that a whole new learning experience that's been fun and challenging to do. But yeah, in each podcast episode, I take a lie or a question or a secret for our twenties and thirties. And that's what I discussed for that episode, just me. And, um, yeah, it's been fun to do. So yeah, I've been breaking down a lot of these lies and, uh, like the recent one that I don't think you've heard yet is the lie of I've missed my chance. Mm. And so, and I tell a lot of stories in that one, uh, from different people who felt that way, who believed that lie and, uh, and, and why that is such a lie. Uh, when we have so much of our life in front of us, like, it's crazy to even think that, that we could think that at 25, like I've missed my chance, like I've blown it. I'm not going to be successful. And it's like, hold on, like you always have more chances no matter what age you are. So let's talk about this. Uh, not that it's not a normal thing to feel, but let's break that down. And so I tell a lot of stories to, to bring back a lot of hope uh, for anybody that's maybe feeling like, you know, everybody's successful. I've missed my chance. My boat's kind of sailed away. Right. Yeah, I agree. I don't think... Cause, and I see that a lot, you know, I follow a bunch of different uh, groups on Facebook uh, for people who are trying to get things going in their lives or, or start a new venture or whatever it is. And oftentimes every now and then you'll see somebody say, you know, Hey, here's something that, uh, that I want to show to help you guys. And there'll be somebody in the comments who says, 
you know, I'm yada, yada years old, you know, input, whatever year old you want to put in there. It doesn't matter. And they'll say, is it too late for me? And the answer is always no, always. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like that phrase, uh, that old proverb, like when's the best time to plant a tree? Uh, it was either 10 years ago or it's now, you know, those are the two best times or, or I'll tell them too, or what I'll say too, that, um, you know, that plant, you know, chasing a dream or pursuing something is kind of like planting an avocado seed. It might take about 10 years before you see any fruit and you're going to have to water that seed a bunch and some things are going to go have to go right. But, but literally if you plant an avocado seed, if you're living in a place that can grow avocado trees, it could take five to 13 years before it produces any fruit. So it is, it's that thing of just start now, you know, no matter what, no matter what age you are, uh, you can start and you can start doing it. And it really is a lie. If you're believing that you've missed your chance or you don't have what it takes. Uh, yeah, you, you do. I mean, none of us really have what it takes at the starting line. Like that's, that's the point of the race. Yeah, absolutely. And the funny thing is, is I've, I've heard you, I heard you use that, uh, that, that metaphor before with the avocado seed and I eat avocados like crazy. That's part of, <laughs> part of my, part of my health kick. And I actually took one of the avocado seeds and started trying to plant it. And you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. I didn't have, I didn't have the patience for it. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't even sprout roots in like four weeks. Yeah. So I lost it and, and, and decided it avocado planting was not my new <laughs> that was not you're not going to be a, a avocado farmer anytime in the near future no not at all i didn't even yeah. i didn't even do my research to see if they would grow in texas so <laughs> uh <laughs> so I, I will say so after listening to your podcast some of these some of these stories that you're saying they're extremely impactful and one of the ones that i latched on to was your story about bob ross and his paintings and the things that he went through on there. Tell us that story. Yeah. I'd love for our viewers to hear that. Yeah. You know, if, if you guys don't know Bob Ross, you know, he's the big, big Afro, uh, the joy of painting. Uh, he would, he would paint happy little trees on PBS and he, and he ran for, I think it was a total of 31 seasons that he had. So 31 seasons of the joy of painting. So, I mean, it was like one of the most successful TV shows the longest running TV shows of all time. And it's just Bob Ross sitting on a stool, painting a painting for an hour. So I, I did, I did a deep dive and I loved learning more, more about Bob Ross and his story. And I'm sure you're the same Blake, where it's just fun to learn, like how did these people get to where they were and learning, you know, that Bob Ross, he felt like a, a failure for years and years, a failed art instructor who was just hustling, trying to do live art workshops in different cities so he was just traveling around everywhere trying to get something going. And he did, he did that for years. And he was so broke that he thought, well, one way to make some, save some money is maybe I should perm my hair and let it grow out so I don't have to get a haircut. And, and then that became his big afro that everybody knew him by. But really, that was a happy little accident. You know, it, he, he was actually embarrassed by it when, yeah. he took, when things started taking off for him. But anyway, what, what I loved about it and what I wrote about in the book, and I put it under, under the lie of success just happens mm. because I think a lot of times we look at people like Bob Ross or whoever we look up to, whatever influencer, author, business person, and we think, wow, it just happened for them or how did they do it? What's the formula? It's magic, right? And so I break that down and somebody like Bob Ross, like he would create this beautiful magical painting and he would do it in an hour. But then I started learning that while he was painting this painting 
and he was completing a painting in an hour, he was referencing that, that exact painting that he'd already spent weeks and months on crafting and getting it ready and painting that painting so that he could reference it and just follow along. He knew where everything was going. And so it wasn't necessarily magic. He was actually just a master craftsman that had worked so hard at his craft and was so prepared that he made it look like magic, that he was just creating this painting out of thin air within an hour. And he wasn't being de deceitful about that, but he was just he was just so good at that. So I, I, I put it in the sense of that the magician is really the least magical person in the room. Mm. They're, they're probably actually just the most hardworking person in the room to make something look magical. Like they have worked at that so hard that it looks easy. It looks like magic. So it was a good reminder for me as I'm doing the work, as I'm looking up to people and, and wishing my success ladder could go higher, you know, whatever it is that we all feel is like, well, you got to keep putting in the work, you know, success doesn't just happen. Um, you got to work really hard to make it look like magic. Yeah, that that's amazing. And I don't, I, I don't know if I picked up on that when I was listening to that episode of yours of the, the concept of the magician is, is the least magical person. It's it, they're just the most hardworking. That yeah. one, that one settles in heavy. It yeah. Really Cause I've got friends who have learned card tricks and I'm like, I, I don't know how you learned that. I could never, I could never learn how to do a card trick. Like, yeah. well, I, had to, I had to practice this for, you know, several, several months before I could get it right. Yada, yada. Well, that's yeah. just one card trick. And you look at a magician who gets up on stage and does these huge uh, acts and makes it look seamless. Imagine all the work that goes into all of that when a friend of mine had to put in several yeah. months to do one card trick. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that goes for the, the author you look up to or the business person or the comedian or the pastor or whatever, you know, these people that we look up to, they, they have worked hard at this, like they're at the top of their craft. And so it didn't, and, and, and they probably had a skill set for it. They probably had a natural strength, you know, and I'm a big believer, like find your strengths, find your skills, because you can grow a lot more exponentially in those, mm -hmm. but they had to still work and grow and struggle and fail. And, and that's why I love even following comedians and learning about their craft because it always amazes me what a comedian can do, that they can make people laugh every 10 seconds for an hour. You know, that's, that's mind-blowing yeah. <laughs> how much laughter they're producing. And, and so I love learning about how much they fail and all the different comedians that they go and play these small shows, uh, like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld or Chris Rock, like we've heard these stories of them playing all these small shows and basically bombing on purpose just so they can figure out what's starting to work. And they're literally taking notes on stage and they're writing down like, oh, this got to laugh or tweak this word, you know, and they are doing it word by word to make every word impactful. And that just, that blows me away, you know? And so stuff like that, it's good for us to be reminded of that. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I, I'd never even thought of that. I love comedy shows. Me and my wife go to one here locally where it's like improv uh, comedy. They have, they do that every now and then as well. And yeah, you never think about they're probably, they've probably told a million jokes in their lifetime. And then when they get up on that stage for that one hour, if they get, if they're getting a whole hour, in some cases they get less, they've taken every joke they've ever told and narrowed it down to the, let's just say 60 jokes. They tell a joke a minute to the 60 jokes that have gotten laughs over their entire career. And that's what's led it, to it. 
Exactly. You know, and I mentioned this in the book. I mentioned an interview that I listened to of Jerry Seinfeld where he was talking about how he was about to do another hour special. You know, that's what comedians are going for, their hour special that's going to get filmed. And so it was going to be released on Netflix or HBO or whatever. And he said, and this was like 20, it was like 2020 when he was doing this interview. And he said, well, in my last hour special was 2001. So he's like, give me 19 years and I'm going to craft a killer hour. And, uh, and then he was joking. He's like, maybe that's a bit extreme. Like I get it. But, but he was basically saying he felt like comedians really rush to get their hour special when they're not even ready. So it falls flat because they haven't put the work in yet. They haven't crafted it yet. And so you're right. You're right. And I, and I don't think this should be discouraging for anybody. Like when you look that far ahead, like, wow, it's going to take a lot of work. Well, that's also why you, why you need to do something that you enjoy, that makes you come alive, that you feel like is important to you. And it's tied into your value system, I think, um, so that you will keep persevering through all the obstacles that will come so that you can get to that place of being the magician. Yeah, I, so I agree. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's this it's this journey that you have to be willing to embark on and it's got to be it's got to be a, a crafted it's got to be a crafted journey because it can't just be something that you're jumping into for for the money and and jumping into because it's the the next most popular thing to do. And one thing exactly. that I wanted to to tag along on, on on what we were just talking about with with the whole Bob Ross and the magicians and and all of that is, you know, with the magician and with Bob Ross, you know, we never saw the painting behind the scenes with Bob Ross, you know, and we don't ever get to, a magician never reveals his secrets. That's that's one of the deals. But I think we live in a very opportunistic age where people are so embracing the process that you almost don't have to try as hard as some of those earlier people had to do. And, and, and I say that very much uh, with, with a grain of salt, because what I mean by that is that you can actually get even more recognition, even more uh, content for the things that you do by revealing to people the behind the scenes these days. People are embracing people who are upfront about their struggles, upfront that they're uh, not always the magician you see on stage. Well, yeah. What would you say with that? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think, um, I, I think you're totally right about that. You know, I often say that uh, we don't connect over our pretend perfection. We connect over our shared struggle. Hmm. Um, you know, and you even see, uh, even in the concept of, of good leadership, you know, even, we'll put it in the construct of good leadership. You know, leadership has really changed. And, and I'll do a part of my life is doing corporate talks. Uh, where I go and speak to leaders and CEOs and uh, of, of corporations to talk to them about how to engage and lead the next generations whom who they might be having a hard time retaining, uh, mm. who are leaving in droves. And so I talk a lot about leadership. And, and what I tell them in this regard is, you know, for, for leaders now, you got to be willing to share your struggles, share your weaknesses, so that the people are, who are following you can trust your strengths. So by you talking about your weaknesses and what you're going through, they're actually going to trust your strengths a lot more because now you are vulnerable, you're real, you're authentic versus leadership in the past. You know, let's say the hierarchical like army uh, top down leadership, like you would never show your weaknesses. That was the kiss of death. You always had to be strong. You always had to feel like you were completely under control. So take, for example, and this is a total rabbit hole, but take, for example, like Franklin D. Roosevelt, 
in the 40s. Uh, I love history. And, you know, and most of us know, like Franklin D. Roosevelt, he was in a wheelchair because he had polio. But, and as I'm sure some of us have learned through history, that they never allowed him to be taken a picture of uh, in his wheelchair. So no reporters could take a picture of him in his wheelchair. So most of the United States at the time, they didn't know that he was in a wheelchair. And because he didn't want to give up the perception of weakness. And again, this is totally off. You know, now we know, I mean, obviously we know people in a wheelchair, they're not weak. You know, they're the most strong people that we know because they've overcome things that we haven't had to overcome. But again, it was that mindset of, oh, we can't show this kind of weakness or people won't, they'll lose confidence in our president. So it's a total flip, you know, and I think that, and that goes back to everything, whatever profession you're in as a writer, an author, a speaker, a businesswoman, a businessman, as a parent, you know, that you're willing to share like, hey, this was tough for me as a kid, or hey, I'm struggling with this and allow that conversation to happen. Well, it bridges trust in every regard. So I think you're totally right in, in that respect. <clears throat> yeah, I, that, that's a that's a really good, uh, another story to be added in there. And you know, that's, <laughs> that's a theme I'm starting to notice with some of the greatest guests that we have on the show is they're amazing storytellers. And I think that that's something that you've definitely captured and done extremely well in your in your books. I think it, it, to have because because I used to I would go up to the coffee shop. Uh, the friend of mine that I was reading it with at the time no longer works there, but uh, I still go through it from time to time. Is the hundred and one questions and every question just about I'm pretty sure every question had a story to go along with it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you, you're um, well. Thank you for that compliment. Um, again, something that I've that was a natural strength of mine or I enjoyed doing, but also have worked on doing and have done a ton of speaking engagements from even back in my first job as working as an admission counselor or recruiter, where I was recruiting high school kids to go to the college I went to. So it was months and months of me being on the road and telling stories, you know, telling stories about being in college, telling stories about my experience. And so while that wasn't the career field that I would then be in, for the rest of my life, I was, I was working at a lot of good skill sets in, in that regard. So I even tell, you know, no, no matter what kind of job you're in, like sometimes the worst jobs can teach us the best things. And even if you can find one thing that you really like, one thing that you gravitate towards, like try to work at that one thing, that one skill, because then you can leverage that to go to the next job, to the next place, uh, to that next opportunity. So storytelling, yeah, it was one, it was one of mine that uh, I love doing, I love telling those stories. And, and, and I also love reading a lot of history books. Like it's work for me. Like it's, it's just enjoyment, but it's work. Like I'll buy a history book and I'll like write it off. Cause it's like a work expense mm. because I love filling my bucket with like really good stories, stuff that I'm just, and, and, and what I take out from that. So for, for all of us, you know, again, just finding that skill, finding that strength, and then just, how do I make this better? How do I hone in on this? How do I put in the time? Again, yeah. going back to how do I make this magic uh, for other people? Yeah, well, no, that's a that's a that's actually an interesting distinction because when I first think about storytelling and as it relates to somebody who's trying to, uh, you know, maybe promote their brand or promote their product or whatever it is they're doing or get a point across, anybody who's trying to do that, something you 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 mentioned there was you're also not just using your stories, which I notice a lot in the 101 questions book, but you're using a lot of other people's stories, your perspective on other people's stories as well. So we don't yeah. have to feel limited by just using our own experiences, but we can actually take 
our experience of somebody else's experience and somebody else's story. You do that yeah. a lot in the uh, on your podcast and with uh, with this newest book. Yeah, I do. In the 25 lies, 20 somethings need to stop believing. I do pull in a lot of outside stories because it does give some really good perspective on why this is a lie, you know, and, and so putting that in a story or giving an example, I think just makes it a more powerful point. Uh, and, and people, you know, we, you, let's say we go to church and you listen to a pastor talk for an hour. Like, what are you going to remember? Typically you're going to remember the, the one or two stories. Maybe you'll remember one line that they said the the profound line that they thought was the best, but really you're going to remember the story they told. Um, or, you know, most Ted, Ted talks, you know, the popular Ted talks, I was reading a book where they broke that down. I forget what book it was, uh, but basically breaking down all the top TED Talks. And I think it was like 70% of their talks were stories. And then 20% was, you know, research and data and 10%. You know, so people are moved by stories. You know, obviously that's why we love movies and, and good speakers. And so again, just to bring it back to whoever's listening to this. So whatever profession you're in, it doesn't really matter. As a real estate agent, as a salesperson, whatever, like really good stories um, is an important craft, uh, for all of us to be, to learning and, and honing in on, even if you don't like speaking and you're scared of speaking, you can still tell a really good story one-on-one -on -one with somebody. Uh, if you're trying to make a sale or you're trying to build a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and guys take, take notes on, on what we're talking about here. Uh, cause I've gained so much value from what Paul has, has taught in his publications on his new podcast he's got but, but also don't forget anything that that you feel there's a there's a, a blank in here like he mentions you know if you're not if you're not quite comfortable with speaking we've we've had other guests on the show do your research and hop in and 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 just take from these people who are doing uh you know the, that are specializing in these different areas where where or paul i want to get into more of these different uh lies that we're telling each other so we can just keep expounding on your expertise uh for our episode together so what's what's another one that you've uh that you've either done an episode on or some, or one that's just kind of stood out to you here lately yeah let me think what's a what's a lie you know uh, uh, one that i was just thinking about today and i know this you'll like this blake because this is your thing is uh, i was right now i was thinking about the lie and it's a simple lie of i don't have the time mm. And it's something that we all say to ourselves constantly, but really most of the time it's a lie. And it's, a, it's an important one to break down because most of the time when we're saying, I don't have the time, what we really mean is I don't want to make the time. Mm. And if, so, and I usually, so let's say somebody calls you, a friend calls you, and we all have this experience where that you look at it and you're like going through your head, like, do I have the time to talk to this friend right now? And, and let's say you let it go to voicemail, you don't pick up. So then that friend texts you and is like, dude, pick up. I have a free concert ticket for a show tonight. Or, you know, it's your favorite band. Like, I want to invite you. Well, now all of a sudden you have all your time just freed up, right? Like yes. now you're going to make the time to make that happen. So why I think that's an important distinction is even in our, you know, let's say our dreams that we want to pursue, you know, and I'm sure you hear this, Blake, like, I just don't have the time. Like I'm working a full-time job or I'm married. I have two kids. Like, I can relate. That was me. I was working a full-time job, two kids trying to pursue a dream. And so it's definitely that real feeling of, do I, I don't have the time for this, but because it was important enough to me, which goes back to some of the other stuff we were talking about related to my story and my values and my passion that I found time and I made time 
So that meant getting up at 6 a.m. to write. That meant taking my lunch breaks to write. That meant staying up late at night to work on my website. Like I found the time. So it wasn't, so I, I think we fool ourselves, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Blake, and talk about this yourself, but we fool ourselves when we constantly keep telling ourselves, I don't have the time, because we have a lot more time than we think. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy because I actually, I was recording an episode before our conversation now that's going to release next Tuesday as we're talking, and then years will come out the following Tuesday. So this will be directly following an episode that I just spent some time talking about <laughs> there how- you go how when we when we say or we get we get complacent or or we start slacking off in a particular area it's it's not because we don't have it's not well I'll, I'll caveat that it's not because we don't have the self discipline half the time a lot of the times it is a self discipline but the other half of the time is because we've lost that importance that mm-hmm. relates back to that activity or that goal or whatever it is that you were doing, you've lost importance. And I talk about how I was, um, I decided to start running so that I would be physically capable to spend time and have fun with my son. Well, I made that promise to myself right when I found out that we were going to have a kid, which means there's nine months before my son is even born, which means there's another three to four years, five, six years before he's even at an age where he's going to be able to tire me out. Uh-huh. So I, start, I start losing this sense of uh, of importance because I think, well, I've got six or seven years. I've yeah. got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time to, to get up and go run and get into shape. And so I give myself excuses uh, yeah. to not go do it that day when I'm supposed to. And so what you have to do in that situation is you have to find something that gives that, that, gives that goal that you know is important a new heightened sense of importance. You have to bring something closer because that, that original importance may be further out. It may have moved further out. And so you've got to bring something closer. So I was telling everybody, yeah, how that's good. I just signed up for a Spartan race and that's what I decided to do to make yeah. it more important. I better be fit to do that race yeah. in a couple of months. Yeah. Or you're going to literally die on the, yeah. on the track. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You'll be shocked, electroshocked by somebody. Yeah. Uh, no, that's good. I like that heightening the importance. I like that, that, that concept, uh, when thinking of, okay, how, how important is this to me? And do I need a heighten the importance or, uh, or do I need to lessen the importance, you know, cause then sometimes we're spending our time doing stuff, uh, that we think we have to do, or we're addicted to doing like our phones, you know, and that's a big lie that I, I talk a lot about basically social media addiction, iPhone addiction, kind of this whole addiction that Mm. we're all, we're all wrestling with. I don't think many of us even want to admit or talk about, we don't want to show people like how much time it says we're spending on our phones. You know, like I turned that off on my, (laughs) on my phone. Like it was depressing. Like I kept thinking like, they must be wrong. Like the software on my phone is wrong, right? <laughs> you know, but but it's a serious problem. You know, it's a serious thing. And then what is it doing to our productivity? Uh, what is it doing to our mental and emotional health that we're spending two hours, three hours on social media and just feeling terrible about our lives when we get done? Um, so even some things like that where, where we're spending too much time uh, doing things that really doesn't bring any life to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to even to even mention that in that episode. And I'm glad you bring that up because this will be a perfect opportunity to do so, which is realizing that if it has left, if it has, if it, so yes, one, like you mentioned, identifying things that have no importance whatsoever, you've just gotten caught up with 
some type of uh, complacent action or reaction, pulling up your phone and doing all this stuff, uh, identify that, get rid of it. And then you've got the flip side of it, which is something that's started to lose its importance. Maybe it's a good thing that it lost its importance because there's mm -hmm. something that's more important, probably along the same lines. Like if it's a health goal or maybe there's a relationship goal you had and maybe a relationship's starting to die off, but there's an opportunity for a new relationship to, to, to flower and bring, bring out or, you know, whatever that is also don't try to save everything. Mm -hmm. Sometimes things need to be dropped off and let go. And yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And sometimes seek out things that need to be let go. If you ever find yourself having uh, not enough time, that's probably the first place to start is to start mm -hmm. finding places to just let go of stuff. Yep, exactly. That's a great point. So let's talk a little bit about the process of what you go through to write one of these books because you've written four now. Yep. And remind us again, when is this, when is this book going to be available to the public? So it's available March 2nd. So it's probably out now. By the time someone's listening to this, this uh, podcast, you can go out and buy it right now. 25 lies, 20 somethings. You stop believing sales pitch, you know, go grab a coffee, a, a few copies, you know, for all yeah. your friends. But uh, yeah, you, that's a great question about the process. Yeah. This is my fourth book, you know, and I have a few other books that I've written that probably will never see the light of the day. So I've, I've probably written like <laughs> six or seven books, right? Okay. And that's part of the process too. Like people don't, when you're talking about, about behind the scenes, like, and for every book that I've written, there's probably double that in pages that no one will ever see. Mm. So it's not like I just sit down and I write the pages and now that's the book, you know? Right. Sometimes I've written 40 pages and you get to page 41 and you're like, oh, page 41 is actually no, is actually the first page. Mm. And I and I just went through 40 pages of a really good exercise cuz I needed to get to 41. And now yeah. that's number 1. You know, and now so that I mean that's the big meta like bigger picture of it is it's a lot of writing. You know, it's a lot of putting stuff down. So for me I even just start as simple uh, as getting into the habit of making notes throughout my day. So I'm constantly going to my phone for a good reason in that sense of uh, I have a thought or an idea and I make a note. Mm -hmm. And I learned that pretty uh, early on that don't wait, you know, don't wait till I'm sitting at the computer because I, I, I know it's such a good idea. I'm for sure going to remember this when I sit down, you know, cause then you don't, you don't remember it at all, but also it kind of, it's like my fodder. It's like, it's like the kindling that I'm just constantly collecting. And then I'm putting it all in a document and it's not really organized. It's pretty free flowing. Like there's not much structure around it. It's just literally notes. And then sometimes I'll, I would, so when you sit down with a computer, which can be scary, like, what do I write about today? I would just go to the notes sometimes and be like, well, what, what did I look? And then I'll just read through them. And if something strikes me like, oh my gosh, I forgot I even wrote that. Like I can feel that, right? I can see, oh, I, I could, I'm going to write about that. And so then I'll start writing about it. So it, it, it starts in those ways for me. And then, it, and then it's just a lot of sitting down, a lot of writing. Uh, I go to a lake with a camping chair and my laptop and the coffee, maybe a cigar. If I really need some inspiration, that's as far as I'll go is, is a cigar. I'll I do that. Uh, and, and I'll sit and, I, and that peace and quiet sitting in a lake, having a coffee uh, just gives me that space to really think. Mm. And, uh, and that's where a lot of my books will be are written. 
if it's not a coffee shop, it's it's by a lake. And um, there's something about that, I think for all of us really, that gives us that space, that mental space to really think and take time with something. So it, it doesn't just come out, it's not simple. It can feel like work, because that's another lie, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't even feel like work. A lot of people say that, like it doesn't even feel like work. I love writing. I love what I'm doing. Sometimes it still feels like work. Sometimes it still feels like I'm getting the plow and I'm plowing the ground. And I would rather be just watching TV than plowing the ground at that time. So it's not always just this magical experience again. It feels like I'm farming. It feels like I'm putting seeds and planting them. That's no, and that's that's great for people to to understand that even even in the midst of the passion there's still work to be done. I mean, that's, I think that's just kind of basics 101. There's, mm -hmm. you, you hear the, you hear the phrase, I've never worked a day in my life. And I think in some instances that can be true, but it's very rare that the entire scope of what you do, even if the whole, so if what you do is your passion, you're, you're truly passionate about what you do. I think it's still extremely rare uh, unless, unless you've, you've gotten, I don't know, with, with writing, yeah, that's still always going to be a passion and a job at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then there's different areas where maybe we can set ourselves up later on down the road as we delegate off some of those more task uh, work related items. And now you're purely focused on the passion piece, but that's mm -hmm. still that's still down the road quite a ways. I here just recently just hired um, a lovely lady. She's probably listening to the podcast. So I'm going to make sure I'm I'm, uh, I'm kissing up a little bit, but uh, <laughs> she doesn't quit on me. Uh, but I just recently hired a, a, um, a girl to help out with some of the, uh, the podcast stuff so that that way I could spend more time. I'm most passionate about talking with you guys mm -hmm. and, and learning from you guys. And then whenever you get down to the nitty gritty of cutting the episodes and, 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 and doing all the little details and, and digital stuff you have to do on the computer, that's where the work is for me. So that's where I would prefer to do some delegation. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, you're totally spot on about that. And uh, and then for me too, like, I think if anybody's going to do important work or you're going to go after something or something that's a little overwhelming or is a challenge and it's a, it's a big thing and you're looking at your big dreams and like, how do I start? How do I do it? It can feel overwhelming for me too. And I talk about this in my new book that I'm even battling what I call the liar. Uh, you know, Stephen Pressfield in, in the book, The War of Art, which is a great book that a lot of people read, he called it resistance. And I call it the liar, which for me, it's kind of that voice too, that I'm working through that saying, hey, you can't do this. Who are you to write another book? Do people want to read another book? Do you have anything more to say? You know, I'm even working through some of that stuff, insecurities, fears. And again, I think most of us can relate to that feeling especially when you're tackling something that's bigger than yourself. Uh, I think it's totally normal to feel that way, but then we also have to then start bringing in truth, you know, and that's part of the battle too. That's part of the work too is, okay, no, that's a lie. I got to stop that because I know if I go down that road, I'm going to stop doing the work. Uh, let me remind myself of the truth. Uh, and so I have a whole chapter where I'm going back and forth between the liar and the truth teller. Here's what the truth teller is saying. And here's what the liar is saying. Um, you know, and for me, my faith is a big part of it, you know, my life. And so for me, it is kind of a faith battle where I'm praying, asking God to help me fill me with your truth. Uh, Cause I feel like I'm being pulled down with a lot of lies. Uh, so I think that can even be part of the work 
for any of us, even if we're pursuing something that we love to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, you know, the ultimate truth, and then you have the ultimate liar, you know, um, especially whenever you're, when you're talking about it from our, from our spiritual beliefs, uh, sense. And, uh, I do my, I do my best to, uh, to include that in everything that I do. I definitely think there's, there's just so much to, to be learned when you, when you've, when you've developed a relationship with God and it opens your eyes up to so many things, which I'm sure you can accredit a lot of your work to, if not, if mm -hmm. not the majority of it, uh, as I do myself. So now let's get into a little bit of the why behind it, just for anyone who hasn't already heard our original uh, episode together, because I want, I want to make sure that they understand where your passion derives from on providing this type of uh, insight and information to the 20 something generation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't the why of like, Oh, this is going to make you so much money. Cause just writing books to 20 somethings is like the most lucrative path you could possibly take. You know, it wasn't like somebody told me that. And I was like, Oh, I should do that. I should write books to 20 somethings. Uh, cause I think sometimes that's, it is how we pursue things. If someone just tells us you should do this thing, we're like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do it to make money. It, you know, it, it, like a lot of things, Blake, and I, I know we've talked about this before, it came out of my own failure, my mm -hmm. own story, feeling like I was totally blowing it, feeling like I was being held back by all these lies, you know, and that's where a lot of the book comes from. It comes from that knowing what it's like to feel like you're believing these lies and you can't move forward. You feel so stuck. You feel depressed. You feel anxious. I remember all those feelings because I felt like such a failure most of my 20s because nothing was really working out for me. I just felt like I was getting rejected by every publisher around. I was getting fired from jobs. I mean, I just felt like I was a failure. Um, and I tell more of that story actually on my new podcast episode. I tell more of that kind of like some rock bottom type moments in my 20s where I just am like, I don't know where, I don't know if I can go much lower than this. Um, so that's where that passion came from, you know, and I, and I think that's true for a lot of us. And I know we've probably talked about this, that I think a lot of times passion and purpose comes out of our biggest pain and our biggest problems. So the things that you've had to work through harder than anybody else, things that you've had to go through, um, that becomes your story. That becomes your purpose, your passion for helping others, for solving that problem in the world, because you know what it's like to go through that. So that's definitely the case for me and why I'm still doing this, because I do think it's such an important decade of our lives. And I also think it's such a difficult decade of our lives. Uh, and so I'm still really passionate about speaking into that uh, with my work. Yeah. What's been your, what's been your biggest struggle in, in speaking to the 20 somethings generation? Uh, you know, not, maybe not just, not just speaking into them as a, as, as an audience, but maybe just in general of what you do, what's been probably one of the, the biggest struggles in the journey to get to where you are now, a four-time author. I remember you telling me that one of your biggest dreams was to be a, a, a best-selling author. Uh, and, and so on that road, what has probably been one of the uh, the biggest struggles you've dealt with? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them, you know, and a lot of them are in my in my book is, is a lot of those lies again. You know, just part of the struggle is like even once you get, let's say you even achieve some piece of your dream. So for me, that was getting a published book. Like that was a big pinnacle dream of mine. Like I want to do that. So then you start realizing that once that pinnacle moment happens, like that doesn't necessarily change your life. That just is another step in the journey. 
So that, that has been a struggle for me. It wasn't like my first book, 101 Secrets for Your 20s came out and I was a New York Times bestseller. And now everybody's wanting to hire me. Everybody's offering me huge book deals. And now my whole life has changed. Right. It was a slow, steady grind still. Mm -hmm. And so I even shared that story in my, uh, in the lie that I have in the book of, uh, uh, chasing your dreams will be sexy. So I have that as a lie. Cause I think a lot of people make it look really sexy, especially on social media. When you look at influencers, they all make it look really sexy. But for me as a published author who then quit my job to pursue being an author full time and a speaker, well, for the first six or eight months, that meant moving in with my in-laws with my wife and two kids in my early thirties. Mm. So, and I tell those stories or the time my wife and I slept in a closet and we literally slept in a closet, uh, cause my kids slept in the, the master bedroom and the closet was large enough, uh, <laughs> for us. And that was the only place to put a bed for us. Wow. You know, these kind of experiences that you almost feel at the time, like you're kind of hiding it or you're ashamed of, or like if only people could see me, Hmm. Well, part of me with the book is pulling back that curtain again, like we were talking about and saying, like, look, here was my journey. And it wasn't sexy a lot of the time. It right. wasn't something that was like, oh, I'm on the beach with my laptop writing New York Times bestsellers. Hey, everybody, look at me. And and by the way, buy my course on how you can do the same. You know, that's mm -hmm. a lie most of the time. And so that was part of the struggle is it, just learning how much of a long tail game it is how you know it's about putting in the work putting in the time and then you kind of go to the next level like it's like it's like going up that rung in the ladder you go to the next level and now you're in a place where maybe uh, two years from now you'll go to the next level and then maybe you'll you maybe you'll pass and you'll go three levels up the next the next success or whatever it is but but i think it's rarely this rocket ship moment and for the people that it is a rocket ship moment those are what we call one hit wonders mm. most of the time because they never built the foundation one level up, one level up, one level up. They did the rocket ship and then they had nothing to sustain any of it. And then they spiraled and the rocket, once the, once the engine went out, that, that rocket crashed pretty hard. Uh, and so sometimes I've learned it's, it's a good thing. I think for most of us that we don't, be, don't have that gigantic rocket ship moment so we can sustain success. It's not easy, but it's been helpful for me. Absolutely. I think that's wonderfully said. If we were to get the success and this man, this is going to, this is going to open so many people's ears to hear that. If you would have received the success that you so badly want, if you received it tomorrow, you would not have experienced the endurance required and developed the endurance required to take that success and keep going on to make more successes after more successes. That's exactly that's beautiful. That's something and I needed to hear. Well, and, and honestly, I mean, and this might sound extreme, but I think it is really as real as this. And for me, you know, again, talking with faith, you know, like you struggle with God, like, God, why is this not happening? Like, you're not answering mm. my prayers. And I feel like God's saying, you know what? I'm actually saving your life right now. Yes. So like, like, hold up on, on what you're saying, because I'm actually saving your life. Because if you got this, you would be a, an absolute mess. You know, and, and it's a tragedy, and we and we hear these stories of celebrities and and people that are big shots, rock stars. I mean, it's the classic story. People that have reached incredible amounts of fame and fortune, uh, and then and then it kills them. I mean, literally, like I mean, I remember in 101 Questions, I wrote about Amy Winehouse uh, after watching that documentary about her life. She was a famous musician, 
who had become, I think she won the, the Grammy for best new artist. Um, and you know, and her life was being destroyed. I mean, it was unraveling her and it was a tragedy. So yeah, just a perspective switch for all of us. Like maybe God is saving your life. Like maybe that is the point. Uh, he doesn't want you to be crushed. And that would have been the case for me. If I would have had a best-selling book at 25, I would have been such a jerk and I would have been a mess and right. I wouldn't have been able to sustain any of it. So God was like, hold on, Paul, I don't, I don't want to kill you right now. So I'm going to, I'm, we're going to, we're going to fail a lot more first yeah. <laughs> uh, before we get there. So. No, that's, that's awesome. This is an amazing perspective that we're, that we're talking about here because, you know, everybody take a moment to look at the people that you look up to. And if, if you look up to them, hopefully they're, they're a humble person, someone with humility, they're, they're kind and they give back to people and think about, did they become an overnight success? Nine times out of 10, if who you're looking up to is somebody with substance, somebody with character, uh, they didn't. And there's a reason that they are so noteworthy and leader worthy today because of everything mm -hmm. that they went to. That's beautiful. Yeah, okay. that's a great way to put it. Last question for you. And that's going to be, what is something you do daily, weekly, or monthly that you think other people should do or would have a benefit in doing as it relates to their growth or as it relates to, um, you know, just continuing to push on toward the dream. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's actually one thing we touched on. It just comes to my mind of, uh, what I call having a writer's mindset, like, or an investigator mindset. Like I think there's these different mindsets we can start working on. So even if you're not a writer or you're not an investigator, but during your day, doing what I just talked about of jotting down notes. Yes. So as you have these thoughts or even you're, you feel anxious about something and you're not sure why, Oh, now you re oh, I realize why I feel anxious right now. Well, jot that note down, uh, basically take an audit of your day, uh, because the details of your day are going to tell you a lot and they they want to tell you a lot, but we just don't notice them very much. So if we can even work today, the next week, the next month, just being more diligent, writing those notes down. Well, maybe you're, you're, maybe you're actually having a lot of breakthrough ideas in your life, but you just haven't given your time the, the space to write them down and you don't remember them. Uh, or you don't put it down to then wrestle with it for the rest of the week. Uh, so, so I think it's an important practice, especially if you're going through transition change, you don't, you maybe don't feel like you're in the right job or in the right relationship. We'll start getting in the habit of, of jotting those notes down uh, so that you can bring some clarity to the situation uh, instead of waiting for kind of some light bulb moment uh, where it's just going to happen instantly. You know, I don't think that's the case for most of us. It takes work. Absolutely. Guys. And that's, that's, that's step number one, writing Writing it down. If you're, if you're, if you're listening to that and you're thinking, well, that's, that's awesome. I do that. Then take step number two, which is go over them and start putting them into your book whatever that is for you. It may not be a book. It may be putting it into to, to practice or, or doing the research, like you said. You know, So once you've got the notes, now go do the research. Mm -hmm. um, that's the second step. Paul, it has been an honor to have you on for a second time and to, to be able to talk about and promote your newest book, 25 uh, Lies, 20-somethings Need to Stop Believing. So you've got You've got the questions, or I'm sorry, let me start. Let me start from the top. You've got the secrets, you've got the yep. questions, and then now you've got ways to debunk the lies. I think that's right. A very good, well-formed package for people in their 20s or any generation, really, 
these are amazing concepts and amazing principles and amazing stories that you deliver. And um, I just encourage anybody and everybody to take a look into what Paul has going on. And just in case they haven't heard your first episode, go ahead and go listen to the first episode we did together. And uh, Paul, tell us where everybody can keep up with you with what you have going on and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Blank, again for having me on. It's an honor to be on a second time. And to just get to know you, the man behind the microphone, and know that you're the real deal, it's always fun to build friendships along the way, too. So uh, thanks, thanks, man, for that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, people can find me at allgrownup.com, G-R-O-A-N, again, like you're groaning in pain, all grown up. Or you can find me at the All Grown Up podcast, like Blake was talking about. It's about 15, 20 minutes of me talking about a lie, a secret, or a question. Uh, or find me on social media at Paul Angoni. Uh, that's a tough one. It's very Italian. My middle name's Anthony, so I could be Tony Angoni if I wanted to be a true Italian, <laughs> but I've held on to Paul for the time being. But uh, you can find me on Instagram and all the social media places at Paul Angoni. Uh, but yeah, if you're, if you're struggling with anything right now, like if you're struggling, uh, just reach out to Blake, reach out to myself, like you're not alone. Reach out to your parents, your friends, like you're not alone in any of this. Talk to one of us, talk to somebody in your life. Uh, because life's hard. It is. It's hard for most of us. So uh, don't feel like you, you're you the only one going through something just because everybody's uh, social media profiles look amazing. Uh, they're struggling too, and they probably have faked or filtered that picture that looks so amazing. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> no, absolutely, guys. Uh, it all starts with asking a question, and that could be asking a question of a friend, of a family member, um, of me and of Paul, or it could just be asking yourself the question, do I have something that I can learn from this Paul Angoni guy? And I'll answer it for you. The answer is yes. So go ahead and reach out and, uh, and go check him out on all those platforms and make sure you're keeping up with what he has going on. Paul, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Uh, thanks, Blake. It's always a pleasure to have Mr. Paul on the show and be able to pull from his bank of knowledge. He's used his own experience of his life during that decade of his 20s. Of course, he's used you know, the years that follow that up to his age today. And he's used that to develop these books, these publications that he's done, all to be a resource for the 20-somethings generation and anyone who falls outside of that generation because these tools are useful for really any generation. I just happen to be smack dab in the middle of the 20-somethings generation, just turned 26 recently. So it's been really great to reflect on his work and use that as a just a daily tool to go over and provide new insight, new light into my life, and in some cases, some new breakthroughs. If you have not been following me already on our socials, Facebook and Instagram, on the Piece of the Process page, be sure to head over there and check that out. Over these, uh, basically the course of this month, I've already started it. I started it on the first of this month. But over the rest of this month, I'm going to be sharing some of my favorite 101 secrets to your 20s and 101 questions for your 20s. Of course, getting the word out about uh, Paul's newest book, 25 Lies, You Need to Stop Believing in Your 20s that we discussed on today's episode. So I will be, uh, I'll probably end the month off with a few of my favorites in that book as well. So that is what we've got going on for Paul. And I'll give you guys some insight into what we've got going on with peace with the process. As you know, I have opened up several opportunities for people to work with me, and I'm going to continue to do that because I believe in the power of being clear on what you value in life. I love speaking with people who have insight and 
clarity on their particular field of expertise. My particular field of expertise is managing your time. I believe that every professional, every uh, you know, successful person has a concept, at the very least, a concept of good time management practices. Well, I couple those time management practices with a clarity of what you value in life. Again, if you haven't followed me on any of my socials where I've been putting out some content about this message, getting clear on what you value is the first step in understanding how to better manage your time. Because if you don't know what you value in this life, well, then you don't really have clarity, do you? And without clarity, you don't know which direction you're headed. And without direction, you can't make sure that you stay on the path to a most fulfilled lifestyle because you don't know what that looks like for you. So that's how I do it. That's how I work with some of the people who reach out to me with help in these areas. We get clear on what you value. We use that to provide direction in your life. And then once we have a clearer picture of what it is you actually want to achieve, what a fulfilled lifestyle looks like for you, we're going to use those value areas to use some of the time management practices and concepts that I help people with to keep you on that path to the most fulfilled lifestyle. So if that sounds interesting to you or you're just a little bit intrigued as to what that looks like, go over to peacewiththeprocess.com and you can actually click on create your piece where I break down what we will go over working one-on-one together. And you can also view some of the blog articles that I've written on the subject. Check out some of the socials with some of the content that I've put out there for that as well, as well as the YouTube channel, Peace With The Process on YouTube. I have a few videos out on that as well. I'm just scratching the surface with this stuff this year, and I'm looking forward to everything that these doors open, not only for me, but for every one of you. So if you have any questions, if you have any suggestions on the tools that we can provide to you to maintain your daily consistent growth without sacrificing your health, yourself, your relationships in the process. I don't include that fourth one on there, wealth, because I do believe we have to spend a little bit of money to continue our growth. I do it every day. I do it all the time. I think that's one of the best places we can invest in, but that's why I don't include that. So I want to provide you with as many tools as possible so that you can continue to sustain consistent daily growth without sacrificing your relationships, yourself, or your health in the process. And if that sounds like something you want to do, if that sounds like a journey or a mission that you want to jump in on or perhaps partner with me on, reach out to me. I have contact forms all over my website, or you can reach out to me on any of my socials, Instagram, Facebook. I'm even on Snapchat. You can check that out. I'm doing a Spartan race. You've probably heard that on my last one. It's nothing too big to brag about, just something that I have going on, a personal goal of mine to do all of the 5K Spartan races that they have going on this year. My first one will be in June, Dallas AT&T Stadium, for those of you who are local, if you want to go out there and uh, root me on or just join in on the race with me. Either way, I'd love to see you guys out there. But you can follow that process. I'll be putting some of that on my personal page, and I'll also have it on my Snapchat I'll be documenting just kind of my training. I get a little funny with it. Obviously, when you're fatigued, you get a little funny. <laughs> but uh, I hope you enjoy that. Uh, if you have any tips or tricks for me, I, I'm always uh, I'm always up to receive some some tips in the fitness realm. Granted, I will say everyone and their mom has fitness tips and tricks. That's why I don't particularly give that type of information out to you guys. But I'd love to hear what has worked for you. 
what you've had a downfall in, particularly in your Spartan race experience, if you've had any of that, or if you're a, a runner, if you've done marathons or just do your regular races, I'd love to hear what it is you've done well in. I tell you guys, the reason I do this podcast is just one way of learning, which is learning through other people's stories and experiences, and I'm glad to be able to bring that to you. So anything I can do more for you, reach out to me, let me know, and I will see you guys next time on Peace with the Process. Take care.